Are you looking for hope? Then you're in the right place. If you're not, well, you're still in the right place because we all need hope. Welcome to the Shine and Delight podcast. We hope to navigate life's storms together as we encourage and build up one another to find true saving hope in the only one that can truly satisfy. We can't fix your problems, but we'll definitely point you towards someone who will. Come along. Beautiful people. What's up, what's up? We are here at DTS. I've been having a lot of conversations with people about DTS and they're like, that's the Harvard of seminaries. And I'm like, what? And so I did one of those niche Google uh, searches, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's like the, the best in the United States. We went on a school trip in eighth grade. We toured Harvard yeah. as tourists. Dang. And, and then our science teacher said, most of you should get a really good look at this campus because you are never coming back here. <laughs> <laughs> so encouraging. Thanks. Yeah. All right, beautiful people. Uh, it's another beautiful day here in Dallas. We are shining delight and we have a great, great show lined up for you. I'm joined today by two excellent men. To my left, I have the legendary CrossFit loving, uh, taco loving gospel preaching andrew temple hey that describes me pretty well you, you completed it there i'm also a student which is yeah gotta learn more about god every and, single day and, and to my right to have roast type how's it going <laughs> <laughs> roast type uh beautiful man five foot ten wonderful hair uh we're done with that we're book done. writing we're law writing, student law man student. of god right, business thanks, creating entrepreneur all right that's enough of that thanks guys um <laughs> icebreaker are you more motivated by the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? All right, let's look at this. Um, I am more motivated by the thrill of victory, to be honest. Uh, there's something in that that I, I know I always push myself harder for victory than not losing or for a prize rather than a negative consequence, just to myself. I think for me, I'm, I'm more motivated by the agony of defeat because... I think I have a life motto, fail better every day. And I remember most of the things that by God's grace, I'm able to excel at uh, music, uh, sometimes speaking and sometimes some school activities. There was a period of time where I sucked at that stuff. I remember the first time I played uh, in public in 2014, uh, everybody laughed at me and I was booted. And so for today, when people are like, oh my God, he's such an excellent musician, I think back to that time when you know my humility was um strengthened by that ha 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 get off the stage so yeah mm. what about uh, stuff bro? agony of defeat mm. i just think that you're like this isn't biblical this is a bad opinion but it's like you're expected to win so it's like when i do win in uh, something it's like that's what you're supposed to do there's no reason to celebrate but then like the agony of defeat is really what where it keeps me awake at night yeah but i would say as we as christians are almost we are victorious through Christ and we know that's going to happen and where we're ending up we always we always will win because of his victorious um, resurrection but we also have to have these open hands that say I'm going to lose this argument I'm going to you know I'm going to serve you well I'm not going to bring a gun to the fight um, because Jesus they're like hey the Messiah is going to win these huge victories and Jesus comes in and says no I'm actually going to die on a cross and I'm going to give my open hands on the cross for you to be saved and so as Christians we're a lot of times we're like man I'm actually going to come to this conversation to be defeated so that we can actually have a relationship. I'm coming underneath you. It's oh, tough. That's good. lovely. I changed my perspective. Sorry. Let's huh. go. So today we're talking about, wow, today we're talking about uh, good Christians or bad Christians or good people living in a bad world or the bad people living in a good world. 
depends on however you choose to look at this. But essentially, the topic behind this is how much sin is too much for God to redeem. So kind of talking about I am bad, I am bad. That MJ, how's it go? You know, I'm bad. Yeah, I'm bad. Yeah, I'm bad. Yeah. Well, that's a look. We're not trying to live in our badness, kind of a deal. But yeah, how much sin is too much sin? Um, is the question there, or can I just keep on sinning? Is there such a thing as a good Christian? Good question. I don't think there is. There, when when the the rich young ruler came up to Jesus and said, like you were, I think he said you're a good teacher. Jesus said, Why do you call me good? There's no one good but God. Yeah, I don't know. I just think that's something to think about. There's no such thing as, in my opinion, there's no such thing as a good Christian. We're all broken, miserable, terrible people in desperate need of a savior. Pathetic. 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 Yeah, that's a good. That's a good adjective. Do you feel as if us Christians have done a poor job of uh, presenting ourselves to the world and even sometimes maybe leading the world into believing that there's so much goodness in Christians? Yes, because we're human. I think all humans do that. I think all humans try and put a better face on themselves than they actually are. And I think Christians are not immune from that. Um, so yeah, I think in the past we've probably made mistakes, you know, trying to present ourselves as good people when in reality we're not. We are like, it's, it's, you know, a patient in a hospital is not healthy. That's exactly what we are. We're patients in a hospital mm. dependent on the doctor to keep us alive. Um, we are broken people dependent on a savior to give us life. We can do nothing on our own. Vulnerability and sharing any shame that you feel or whatnot. Shame causes to hide things no matter where you're at in the world. Like it's easy to be shameful of things. And so even as a, whether you know Christ or don't know Christ, like we want to hide things. We want to hide the worst. We want to give our best self so that we are liked and loved and people respect us. Um, so sharing those deep depths is really hard. Um, so we as Christians all the time, oh man, I, I've heard the gospel. I know who Jesus is. I got to live up to those standards, um, which we ultimately know is impossible. Uh, as, he, um, as he says to the Pharisees in I think Matthew 5, 48, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, saying that that's impossible. He's given this extreme exaggeration there. This is impossible to live up to, but yet we sometimes think that, oh no, this is what I've been called to do. I have to present myself like that. And I can't, I can't show the people. And so we have hypocrisy. It's extremely stressful because at the moment, history has really captured stories of excellent people who once upon a time were men of God, you know, falling into the mm. greatest uh, dungeons, uh, such as Oh, okay, let's not name names, but uh, a great <laughs> apologist and a great minister from New York. And so that brings me to the question, are there good people in the world and less lesser good people in the church? Because Ross said a patient is in the hospital because he is sick. And if you don't need a doctor's attention or something, they're not going to go to the hospital. I don't even think it's worth saying good, more good, better. Because, yeah. I mean, if you have a bunch of people that are terminally ill on a floor together. If one of them was bragging about how much, how they're in great shape, you would kind of look and be like, I mean, I love the optimism, but seriously, I mean, you're all terminally ill. Why are you bragging that you're in better shape than that guy? You know, it, it's like, if we're all, we're all destined for eternity separated from God before we meet Christ, that's our destiny before we come to know Christ. Yeah. Those terminally ill patients, man, I got two months. You only got three weeks, sucker. Yeah. Like, no, it's the same playing field, basically. It's just a few more days in yeah. that sense. Um, so let's break down that first question there. Um, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the first thing we look at is, people say, I am bad, as you kind of put that Michael Jackson song in there. I am bad. I am sinful. What exactly is sin? It's an archery term. I don't know if people know that, but sin is an archery term, and it refers to the distance from a bullseye. So whether you're off by a hair or if you miss the target completely, there's a sin there. So sin is anything short of perfection. Um, that's why that's why it refers to that archery term. So a lot of the analogy that I like to use is 
if you are uh, sitting on one side of the Grand Canyon and someone asked you, could you long jump across the Grand Canyon? What would you say? Absolutely not. And, you know, if you put Usain Bolt next to me on my left and you put LeBron James on my right and then to the right of LeBron, you put a woman in a wheelchair and you asked all four of us to jump out and try and long jump across the Grand Canyon. Sure, LeBron and Usain Bolt might get out, you know, might jump a lot farther than I will, but none of us are even going to come close. And so the idea that any of us could live a perfect life is like saying that some of us could long jump across the Grand Canyon. That's why what Jesus said to the Pharisees was so provocative when he said, you must be perfect, because that's a standard that none of us could ever even dream of attaining. And so the idea that, you know, we could ever try and come close to that perfect standard is ridiculous. And so that's where sin comes in, because sin is us not being able to live up to that perfect standard. Romans chapter 7 verse 18, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Mm. Man, that's, that's a bummer. I look at sin very similar to what you two are looking at there. One more definition. It's a deviation from the original, another way. When we take it back, how God has designed things, he did not design us with sin. He designed us in the Garden of Eden a perfect life. And that the choice we have, the choice we have every single day, um, is to either live by the Spirit or live by the flesh in that sense. And that's a very Christian way to put things. That's how Paul puts it in the Bible. But we get to abide by what God has asked us to do or we get to abide by what we want to do. And in the Garden, it was, hey, just don't eat of this one tree. And that was the one thing in the flesh they couldn't do, right? And they chose to do that. And so we have this sin that enters the world. And then it's a deviation from the original because God did not plan that to be there. So that would be the hurting, the brokenness, the desires for things that are opposite of God. That's sin. Is a newborn baby a sinner? <laughs> yes. Wait till you see my nieces. I have a one a one year old niece and a, <laughs> a, a three a three year old niece, and she's three, and she just got this is the first time I've seen it this week. I literally see this on like Monday morning, and she got upset about something, and she's biting a book with her teeth, and there's just this anger in her eyes, and I was like, and my sister just sister in law, she's like, oh yeah, she's frustrated. It's like, no, no, that's anger. I know you didn't see that yet, but that's definitely anger right there. There's something that's going on there. So yes, wow. so you can be sinful, even as a baby. Even as a baby. There's wow. this, I think it's the selfish desire inside of you to make everything about me, to make me a little God. Yeah. What, what's the doctrine of the age of accountability? Like, where does that come from in scripture? Um, I don't know. I'll have to go back into that a little bit later. I mean, I was looking yesterday in, um, we'd, we'd have to dive into a little bit more of that. That's yeah. theologically something I'm going to look at a little bit later this year um, and study. Yesterday, I was just looking at in uh, Matthew where it talks about where Jesus just talks about having um, these little children, let the little children come to me in that sense, right? And so when can they understand, when can they not understand? That's different for every child. Ro, could you shed more light on what that is? Yeah, I mean, because you asked, is a baby a sinner? I yeah. think a lot of people would ask that. When you share the gospel with someone and they say, you know, we're all sinners, we all need a Savior. If we accept the gift that Jesus has given to us freely and we decide to give our lives to him, then we'll be saved. You know, that makes sense for an adult, for us. But the question comes, you know, what if a baby dies in the womb? What if a baby dies, you know, the day she's born? Does that baby go to hell? I mean, that's a serious question that people ask. And so the doctrine of the age of accountability is at what point is a child old enough to make that decision for him or herself? And what point is, is that child accountable for that decision? Because a baby born on her birthday is not capable of accepting Christ because that baby has no comprehension of anything that's going on. And so, you know, it would make no sense that a loving and just God would send a newborn baby to hell when the baby had no opportunity to love God, right? So the age of the accountability is is kind of this theological idea, this theological doctrine where at some point or, or before a certain point when children have are not capable of accepting Christ, 
they are not accountable for their decision not to follow Christ because they didn't know how, they didn't know what that meant. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's, that's what incredible. that is. Yeah. All of us serve at an excellent ministry here in Dallas uh, known as The Porch, and every single week we come across people uh, to tend to find their identity in their sins, right? I've done this so much, I can't, I don't think God's love extends to people such as me because I've done so many drugs, I've broken so many hearts. I recently met someone who's actually, uh, who was engaged in a battle of some sort that led to death, blah, 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 right? Mm. And so that brings me to the question, now that we know, and Andrew, if you could elaborate on how God cleanses us from our sins, then could we talk about what sin is too much for God to redeem? Mm, that's a great question. And we look at that. That's the identity of I am bad. Right? I am that's, bad. An, that's an identity, whatever it is. And it could yeah. say I am a prostitute. Um, I am a glutton. Whatever, maybe I eat, I'm just obese. I'm just a fat person. I eat way too much food. I'm addicted to this. Or I'm, I'm, addicted, ugly. I'm, a, I'm a slave to X, Y, and Z. I have to do it every single day. Yeah. I am a I'm a depressed person. I just have to be depressed every single day. And you have to do that thing because you're, you're chained in by it. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the wrong thinking overall in that sense as we know that, or we see that in the gospel, um, we know that all have sinned, but anyone who confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in the heart that God raised him from the dead will be saved. God's desire is that all people would be saved. And his, um, he willingly he lived a perfect life, went to the cross, died, just, you know, I mean, one of, one of us can die. That makes it a normal man. But what he did is three days later, he overcame death, which means he overcame sin because sin is the reason that our bodies decay and that we're going to die. And he rose from the grave and said, I have power over life and death. And through him and him alone, um, can we have salvation? Can we be saved from this sinfulness? There's an unnamed character in the Bible that has obsessed me for quite a long time unnamed, now. Okay. Unnamed character in the Bible. We know him as the thief on the cross. So to give a little background, when Jesus was crucified... He was not the only one that got executed that day. There were two people on either side of him, one on his left, one on his right. Um, and they were both mocking him mercilessly mm -hmm. as Jesus was, was hanging there because they were like, you know, you call yourself the Messiah, yet all three of us are being crucified here right now. If you were really God, you could take us all down and spare our lives. What are you doing? You must not be the real deal. And so they do that for a little bit. And then one of the thieves, one of the guys hanging next to him, presumably the guy on his right, as at least whenever this is depicted in like medieval paintings, he's always the guy on the right. So presumably the guy on the right, it said in Luke 23, it says, one of the criminals who hung there hurried, hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. So this story is talking about a violent criminal a guy who justly was being executed by the Roman government. He was not a good person, probably never been in a Bible study, probably never gave money to his church, probably not a follower of Jesus. He had done everything wrong in his entire life, and yet at the 11th hour, right before he died, he made it. And he's going to spend eternity in heaven. And if you ask that guy when you got to heaven, how did you make it here? Like, you didn't do anything well. You, you, didn't, you were never in a Bible study. You were not a good person. How did you make it? He would give you the answer, or he would say something like, the guy to my left said I could be here. The guy on the cross said I could be here. And I thought that his invitation was enough, therefore I made it. Um, and so I think that's such a beautiful illustration of there's nothing that you can do that is too far gone for the cross. There's absolutely no sin that is too big that cannot be paid for in Jesus' blood. Whether you're a serial killer on death row, 
whether you are a, you know, you were the, you're a terrorist, you were the worst person on planet Earth, you were not too far gone. Um, so there is no sin if you are willing to offer that to Jesus and you are willing to accept the gift that he has given you. There is no sin that makes you too far gone. Mm. So good. Yeah. But why does this matter? Why does this matter? Because yeah. we're talking about, we meet a lot of people who think, you know, I've done so many terrible things that I just can't, there's no way Jesus would want me. I had a friend who really looked, who really said, I need to clean myself up before I go to church. And it's like, dude, if you had cancer, would you seriously try and get rid of your cancer before you went to an oncologist? Mm -hmm. That would make zero sense. And so the idea that I have to get myself cleaned up before I come to Christ because Christ would never want me the way I am now. Well, I, I, I look, I hear something like that and I think, well, Romans 8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, he knew the mess we were in. He knows exactly how messed up we are, yet he chose us anyway. He looked at you, Andrew, and said, as messed up as you and I were, you and me, as messed up as we were, he looked at us and he said, I'm going to die for them now. I'm not dying for their future selves, their future cleaned up selves. I'm dying for them now. Yeah. And, and so there's the, the idea that we got to clean ourselves up before we come to Christ makes zero sense because he wants you exactly how you are right now. Mm. Yeah, Romans 5, 8, and that while we were still sinners, while we were yet still in our sin, Christ died for us. And one would scarcely die for a, a good man, but Christ dies for the ungodly and the worst of the worst uh, in that sense. And there is, I mean, and we believe um, as Christians and that there is really life after death, that we are eternal spirits, we are eternal beings, and this is just a short period in, in, in eternity. And so if we look at that, you're saying, oh, man, I have maybe 25 years. Ma'am, you could, your kidney could be gone, and maybe you die in the next couple of days, you get hit by a car. Maybe you have 50, maybe you have 75, maybe you have 105, and you're, you're awesome. They just have an amazing life. But at some point, that ends, and what is next overall in that? And I think that's the other thing is we have to look in the eternal aspect of things. Like, man, this life is very short. What happens after this? Yeah. Um, inside of that. The other thing I look at as Christians, or I've heard this before, is I've sinned so much, I don't deserve anything good. Like, I know I've been saved for the gospel, but I've just sinned too much, and I don't deserve, I don't deserve good, so I'm going to settle for something less than. If God only gave us what we deserved, he would not be merciful. Because when you look at what we actually deserve, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That's the first part of that verse. Mm. What that means for the wages of sin, it means a wage is something we earn, it's something we deserve. So what it's saying, for the wages of sin is death, it's saying we deserve death. We deserve a spiritual death and eternity separated from God. To put it bluntly, we deserve hell because we're all sinners and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We deserve spending eternity in hell. That's what we deserve. But yet God, in his mercy, he came down and he met us where we're at and he paid the penalty that we could not pay ourselves so that we didn't have to to get what we deserve. Mm. He gives us something we don't deserve. That's grace. Um, and so, you know, th this idea that I, ha I don't deserve Jesus's love. No, we don't. None of us do. The greatest person you ever know, he does not, he or she does not deserve Jesus's love. Jesus gives it to us by his grace and by his mercy. And Jesus extends his love to us because he knows that you're messed up. Is not oblivious to the fact that men are messed up. Romans chapter 8 verse 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned uh, sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Christ knows. And the Bible tells a story of Christ coming to this uh, Samaritan lady at the well, right? So good. And 
Jesus knows everything about this lady, right? And Jesus yeah. is asking, hey, can I, uh, can I have a drink, right? And the lady is like, hey, Samaritan and Jews, we do not, we, 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 we are not friends like that. You know, that is unheard of, right? And then the, Jesus asks a bunch of uh, diagnostic questions and the lady reveals to Jesus that she is sinful and none of this stuff I mean, Jesus knew about all this stuff because she's like, yeah, the man you have at home isn't your husband, right? Mm. And you've had four, three others, four others, five. Four, five others. And in this moment, you know, Jesus just demonstrates his perfect, reckless, in quotes, love, you know, in this moment of encountering a sinner. Mm. And yet Jesus comes again to another lady who had been caught in adultery, right? And men because men, there's lots of condemnation in men. Men wanted to kill her. Men were trying to stone her to death. And Jesus, and I, I know this verse, uh, the, this part of scripture, that there's a lot of things saying maybe it, it didn't happen, blah, but uh, the story uh, the story depicts Jesus writing stuff on the ground, right? And then he's like, hey, let him who have no sin be the first to cast the first stone, right? Mm -hmm. That never happens. And it's wonderful how Jesus nobody knows. Down. Nobody did. Jesus knows about you. He knows everything about you. He knows about your sins. And that is why he died on the cross for you. I want to add two interesting details to that story. Which one? The woman at the well. Okay, cool. So woman at the well, John 4. It's just, it's so, it's so good. Uh, in John 4, it says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was getting, gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. That's when he ran into, uh, that's when he ran it. on this trip, when he's going from Judea back to Galilee, that's when he runs into the woman at the well. Now he had, he had to go through Samaria. The crazy thing about that little verse, he had to go through Samaria. That's a detour. Judea to Galilee, that's just a straight, you're just going south to north. That's just a straight line. Oh, wow. But if you're going to Samaria, he veered, he took a right turn. He took the long route to Galilee. Because he knew that he wanted he wanted to run into this woman. Wow. And he knew that he was gonna if he took a detour, he was gonna run into this woman. So Jesus went out of his way. He took a longer trip because he knew that he was gonna meet this woman at this well. Right? He went out of his way to meet this woman. That's the first cool detail. Second cool detail, verse six. Jacob's well was there. This is when Jesus gets to the well. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now, when it says it was about noon, that's an important detail because it's hot in the Middle East. No one was drawing water. No one was going to the well at noon because that was a long walk out to the well. You had to draw the water. Then you had to carry it back to your house. No one was doing that job at noon because that's the hottest part of the day in the Middle East. You, so wouldn't, you wouldn't be drawing water at noon. You would draw water in the morning when it was cool, when the sun had not yet gotten to its peak. So the fact that this woman was drawing water at noon shows you just how much of a pariah she was because she didn't want to go when everyone else was drawing water because she was an outcast. She was seen as, you know, as that girl, you know, the girl that you don't want your son to be seen with. She was seen as that girl. And so that's why she was going at noon because she wanted to be by herself. And in that moment when she's in her shame and she just wanted to be alone and away from everyone, that's when Jesus meets her. He doesn't meet her whenever she's cleaned herself up. She meets Jesus and then, she, and then Jesus cleans her up. Jesus tells her every detail about her. It becomes clear to her that this is the Messiah. She runs back into town and says, guys, you got to see this dude. Like, he's the real deal. I think he's the Messiah. He's told me every, he, he told me everything about myself. He's like, I, 
didn't matter to her what her past was. Didn't matter to her what she was seen as. She just ran back into town. All she knew was, I just met Jesus, and I got to tell some people. And then whole town comes out, and then Jesus is teaching the whole town. Such yeah. a great story. I think that's why it, it, it was necessary. Uh, and theologically, that's mentioned, I think, nine other times inside of the book of John. And it all has to do with God, like this law of the prophets, or this prophecy of the prophets must be fulfilled. Right. Theologically, God had to have this happen so that we could see Jesus redeems the worst of sinners, who is the worst of sinners in quotations here, the least of society who's hated by everyone else around him. Right. Because you said, as you just broken down, comes the well at noon. Right. A woman who is from Samaria and Jesus goes to her specifically to show everyone like I'm here for the worst of the worst in society's terms. So good. Whenever he picks his disciples, does he pick the Pharisees? No. He picked the tax collector. He picked you know, a bunch of middle-class guys, like he didn't pick, he didn't take the religious scholars. He didn't take the top of the food chain. He just took, he just took guys that wanted to follow him. I mean, it, I don't know. It's just, it's so The good. gospel is such a beautiful story. So does that mean every sin could be redeemed by Christ? Every sin that you willingly give over to him, yes. And that you want, and not even willingly sometimes is like, you're like, I'm putting it all before you. Sometimes I don't recognize in that. Um, we look at the, also the story of the prodigal son um, who's coming home to his father. And he's like, man, I'm just going to go to my dad. And I am just want to be one of his servants because I don't think that I can, wow. be, basically, I don't think that I'm good enough for him anymore. I have that mentality. And yet his father sees him from a distance, runs out, puts his, his ring on his finger, puts his cloak on his back runs like no Jewish man supposed to run ever and degrades himself all for his son. That's what God does for each one of us in that sense. So, but the son had made the initiative. He's coming back. He's going to the father, right? So he's willingly recognizing things. Um, that was a great question though there. There is a verse, right? In the Bible that talks about an un, a sin that's, you can't be forgiven. Anyone know where that's at? Drum rolls. Gotta be Hebrews, right? No, Matthew 12 actually. Oh, no. Huh. Yeah. It says, for this reason I tell you, people will be forgiven for every sin and blasphemy, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. Anything against Christ. If you speak, you could be a persecutor of Christians your entire life, and yet at your deathbed, come to know Christ, and he would say, you're in. You're with me, man. You're my best friend. Thief on the cross? Thief on the cross, basically, in that sense. Or Paul, who was persecuted Christian, in that sense. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. Trinitarianism is so complex. Yeah, I don't think any of us will ever understand that. <laughs> That's just one of those things. Yeah, so what does that mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? You guys got any ideas? <laughs> I uh, I once heard a story. I had a pastor one time yeah. who, uh, when he was a kid, he was just playing in the front yard, and someone was speeding through, was like speeding through his little intersection, so he flipped her off. Like she was driving, and he flipped her off. Yeah, yeah. And then once she got past him, he saw like a bumper sticker. It had two doves on it, or it had a dove on it that represented the Holy Spirit. So the woman slammed on the brakes, backed up, rolled down the window, and said, "Son, do you know you just blasphemed the Holy Spirit by flipping off my Holy Spirit bumper sticker? Do you know? Do you realize that you were going to spend eternity in hell now because you did that? That's so and then funny. It, it like freaked him out. But yeah, I don't know. I, I what I, what I have heard that to mean is blaspheming the Holy Spirit is when you have hardened your heart and you have shut off the Holy Spirit altogether and you mm. have clothed yourself and you don't want anything to do with the Holy Spirit, you don't want anything to do with God, that is what's known as the unforg unforgivable sin. 
Yeah, I would say it's a very um, a hardened or a condition in the heart that's been put that's there, and it's like you just you grow it. It's settled. It's not moving out there, and you're against the Holy Spirit's work entirely, um, because we believe the Holy Spirit's inside of us, sanctifying us as Christians, and we accept Christ comes into our life, um, and it is that because it's a special agent of change. And if we're against His work, wherever it may be, He doesn't want to be there. He's not going to come in our hearts. God's a gentleman. Yeah, he's not gonna. I mean, he he he's not gonna force himself on you. Um, he is. He honors your free will, and if you want nothing to do with him, as much as it breaks his heart, he will not force you to have anything to do with him if you don't want anything to do with him. I've had a couple of arguments where people say that uh, if you showed up and you're like, "Hey, God told me to say this to you," and he did not, then that's blasphemy because you are lying about God, and in the process, you're dainting God's character. Can that be forgiven? What you just said, if I went and told someone, hey, God told me to say X, Y, and Z, and I'm using it for my own gain or whatever it may be, can that be forgiven? Is that blasphemy? Um, in this case, I would say there's, I would say it's blasphemy in the name of God because you're saying that God told me in this sense, right? And you're lying about what's going on in there. Um, I would say that it is a forgivable sin. Uh, most of the time, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is looking at, man, I just am totally against God. I'm never going to change. I don't believe in the Holy Spirit at all there. And you're allowing the things of this world to completely override you and to completely take, settle in your heart. And there's never going to be anything else ever in your heart is what I'm looking at that. I think speaking against God, um, saying that, you know, oh, man, I'm trying to think of just different individuals who may have spoken against God in the word um, and were forgiven. I'll have to come back on that one. What are your thoughts, Ro? Yeah, I mean, Paul spent the first half of his life doing that. And look at what he did. I mean, he spent the second half of his life being the greatest Christian missionary of all time. Um, so I, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, Andrew hit the nail right on the head. There's the only sin that cannot be forgiven is your unwillingness to accept God's forgiveness. That's pretty much it. Yeah. That's very good. Um, so if you're in doubt, like, have I done this sin? Am I worrying about this? If you've been thinking about that, you're good. Just being honest. Um, cause most people, I think of like the, um, the Pharisees in the Bible whose hearts were so hardened, they wouldn't see anything. Like they didn't even think like, am I a sinner? No. I am good. I am holy. Like they were blasphemy against the Holy Spirit because they would not receive it and would not receive the gift of God. In that. Jesus told a parable about a Pharisee and a tax collector, both standing in the temple. Pharisee, religious leader, highly regarded, highly regarded, top of society, thought that they were perfect. Tax collector, not highly regarded, lowest of the low. Everybody hated them. They were the scum of the earth, right? Because they stole from their own people on behalf of the Roman government who were oppressing the Jews. So tax collector's bad, Pharisee's good. From the eyes of a first century Jew, that's what they would have thought. Pharisee good, tax collector bad. So both two guys standing in the temple. The tax, the Pharisee says, Lord, thank you that I am not like a tax collector. Thank you that I am great, right? Essentially is what he's saying. And the tax collector is humbly saying, basically, Lord, I'm a sinner. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you accept me. And then Jesus says, I really wish I knew where the scripture was, but Jesus says, the tax collector is the one who's accepted my grace, like who's accepted God's grace. The tax collector is the one who's in a good spot. Not because... You know, not because he he the tax collector necessarily did all these great things in life, but the tax collector had the humility to understand that he needed a savior, and that's why he was saved, not because he was a good person. Right, Jesus has cleaned our sins, and he's gonna clean all my sins in the future, past, present, and future. So we believe, right? Every sin, not just the ones I've already done, the future ones too. Why shouldn't I keep sinning? Like even if it's like I just became, I just accepted Christ as my savior. This is the best thing ever, man. I know I'm going to heaven. I'm a new believer or wherever I'm at. And like, why shouldn't I just keep sinning? It stinks. It's it weird. Yeah, like sin stinks. It's, Tell it's, us. It's, it's, it's weird because, I mean, and 
having a past personally uh, there have been moments especially after my embarking on you know this journey of following Christ when uh, the flesh was too fleshy and I found myself kind of getting drawn back to my old sin patterns mm. and it stunk this this thing the godly grief that you experience after falling into that and you're like I wish I would not have done that it stinks what are you really thoughts yeah I mean when we when we come to know Christ and we accept him and, and we decide we want to dedicate our lives to following Jesus he gives us the Holy Spirit that's his gift to us and then the Holy Spirit leads us and you know once we get a taste of what it means to be in communion with God and to truly know God once we really understand what that means nothing else compares and so anything that takes us away from that communion with God hurts and it it just it does not feel good. It's kind of that it's it, the Bible calls it grief or it talks about it in terms of grief. Um, because it's just you don't want anything to separate you from God's presence. And so, you know, one of the one of the ways that I know that I'm saved is because when I sin, I hate it. I hate it. Um, because I know that it, it grieves the Holy Spirit and know, and I know that it pulled me away from the Holy Spirit. And so that that's a really good indication. Um, assurance, by the way, this is what we're talking about, assurance, because just to kind of clarify. You know, there, there's no bright line rule. Like it's, it, you know, it's not like we can run 30 miles barefoot and then got, we make it to heaven. There's no bright line rule like that. It's it has about, to be on a bed of coals, actually. <laughs> 30 miles on hot coals. So since there's no bright line rule, there's no like clear indication. You're not going to walk. God's not going to put a green light over your head when you're saved. There's no clear indication. And <laughs> light so, bulb goes on. And so assurance is God's gift to the overthinker. It's God's gift to people like me, people that lay in bed at night thinking, Am I really saved? If I had a heart attack in my sleep and I die, am I really going to go to heaven? Assurance is God's gift to people that think those type of things. And so one of the ways you can be assured of your salvation, um, if you sin, do you hate it? Or is it no big deal? Um, you know, are you worried about grieving the Holy Spirit? Do you want to be in the presence of God? One of the cool things in 1 Corinthians, it says no one can say Lord, no one can say Jesus is Lord and mean it without the help of the Holy Spirit. So if you can honestly say Jesus is Lord, you're good. I just think that's that's so good. Romans um, chapter 6. Uh, yeah. uh, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like uh, his. And then I, I, I love this part. It talks about, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Therefore, uh, verse 12, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Mm, instrument of wickedness or an instrument of righteousness. And that's what we're looking at. Um, I love that passage. I'd read Romans 6 again if you're struggling with this, like why shouldn't I just keep sinning in that sense? Um, 
as as really looking at how God has set us free. Formally, if you do not know Him, we don't have a choice. Like we have to sin, but then as we we have to do things that are against Him. But when we come to know Christ, we're saying we now get a choice um, in that, and we get to spend time with Him. We get to do things for Him. We get to be used by Him, right? But we still have the choice being there. And I like to put it in perspective. I mean, what Ro was reminding me of this as well is once you come to know someone, you, especially if you like them and they've given you something, you probably want to spend more time with them, right? And any sin we put in our life actually makes us more distance from someone. It's like um, I had trust with somebody and then I broke that trust, right? They're probably not going to want to hang out with me very often. And it takes a while to rebuild that trust or it takes me coming back and asking for forgiveness and being with them. Um, and so when we're, when we're with God and we make those sins over and over again, we're separating ourselves from him. Now, he still loves us. He's with us, but you're probably not going to hear from him. You're going to have a hard time being like, man, I, I just feel this anxiety, different things, because the peace of God is not inside of you as you are doing things against God. Is he still loving with you? Yes, but there's a distance in the gap in your relationship, a dissidence. Romans 8, those who live according to the flesh cannot please God. Mm. You know, and, and it's like you, you cannot serve both. You cannot serve the flesh and you cannot serve God. You cannot put one foot in each camp and say, I'm a Christian, but I'm going to continue to do whatever I want because I'm having a good time, you cannot do that. That is not an option. It is, you go all in with Christ, and you live a full, you live a fulfilled, gospel-centered life, following and surrender to Jesus, or you don't. Those are your only two options. Talk to us about going all in with Christ. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, to me, what that means is I am fully surrendered, or I want to, I, I will, I want to clarify, I will never live up to the standard of Jesus. I will never do that. I will never come close. Um, I'm a broken, messed up person, just like everyone else. There's nothing special about me. The only thing I've ever done with my life that is good is surrender to Jesus. That's it. Um, and so what that means is I have decided that I'm going to live my life according to what God says is good. That means I'm going to date a certain way. Um, I'm going to live a certain way. I'm going to pursue conflict resolution in a certain way. If I'm mad at a friend, I'm going to do, I'm going to settle that according to how the Bible would have me, even if that is uncomfortable, even if that is something that is weird and unusual compared to the world's standards. Um, I am going to live the way that Jesus calls me to live. I'm not going to be perfect. I mess up probably a thousand times a day. Um, but by the grace of God, he makes me just a little bit better than I was the day before. And I want to live according to his spirit and to be led by the spirit and to be convicted by the spirit so that the spirit pulls me out of my sin. And doesn't just let me stay there in my own filth, but pulls me out of my sin. So even if it means I have to, you know, give up things that I used to think were fun, I no longer go to the bars the way that I used to. Um, because God has shown me that there is not life there. There is life in the Spirit, and the Spirit only. And so because of that, I'm going to follow the Spirit, and I'm going to live according to God's Word, not according to what my flesh wants me to do. I think in Matthew 5, or not Matthew, Luke 5, um, where Jesus calls Matthew or Levi the tax collector, and he says, and he's walking by a tax booth, and he just says, it's 27, 28. He says, follow me. And it says, Levi got up, leaving everything, followed him, right? And so you look at that. It is leaving everything. And Matthew, making good money, right? Um, making good money as a tax collector. But there was something that said, I am missing something in his heart. He, I felt, I am missing something entirely. And so he would most likely seen Jesus doing miracles, seen Jesus doing something, and was like, I'm going to follow this guy. He has something that this world can't offer me. And so he got up and followed him, leaving his stuff behind. Now, I'm sure as a disciple for the next couple of years following Jesus, he definitely sinned. Uh, he definitely screwed up. And there was a lot of process of like, wow, this is completely new. I have no idea how to do this. I don't know what Jesus is actually calling me towards. Some doubts, some fears, some anxiety. And that's normal as he has this 
this old, I'm going to say his old self, still there. That old fleshly desires are still there. And he has to learn and see and have it be sanctified by Christ and sanctified by the Spirit and becoming more like Christ, sanctification. And if I'm just being transparent, I mean, I, you know, I, I just said that I'm going to, even if it means by living by a standard that the world would seem would consider weird, I'm going to follow Christ. Um, I struggle with that a lot because I often think back, you know, I often look back and I think, you know, following Christ is really difficult. This is not easy. And a lot of times this is not fun. And my friends who aren't following Christ, they've got it made. They're doing everything that they want to do. They're having a great time. They're making a lot of money. You know, why can't I do that? Like, why, why do I have to die to self and then pick up my cross and follow Jesus? Why do I have to do this? This doesn't seem that fun. And, and you know, in those moments, it's just, Lord, I trust you. I trust you that when you say that I should live my life according to your word, that mm. you, you were not doing that to rip me off. You're doing that to set me free. I trust mm. you. And so even if... I may not be having a lot of fun right now. I am going to choose to follow you. And that is a very, very difficult decision to make. And it's not one that I make that I get right every time. In fact, I get it wrong probably more often than I get it right. But that is a very difficult thing to do. And if I'm just being honest with the with our audience, that's what it means. Um, that's mm. what it means to follow Christ and to fully trust him. Yeah, if you can trust him with your eternity or trust him with salvation, being saved, how can you not trust him with this small little thing, whatever it is, right? Put X, Y, and Z in there, man. I'm not worried about my next job or I'm worried about the fact that I'm separated because I keep sinning. But yet you trust him with eternity. You can trust him with everything else along the way. So if you've been wondering if you are, bud, I'm here to tell you that, yes, you are. So are we. Everybody is. We're know? all terrible. We're all terrible, pathetic, as Andrew put it. <laughs> Christ can change that. Christ is able to change that. And throughout history, Christ has demonstrated himself that he wants to change that. And so give him a chance and, yeah, let him define you. Oh, I forgot my train of thought. But oh, we're sorry. looking at there. It was, it was really looking at there's always going to be this little bit of badness inside of you, that badness. It's never going to go away until we die and are out of this fleshy body. Um, I just, you know, we talk about Romans 6, Romans 8, and Romans 7 in the middle says, Paul, Paul says, I do not understand the things that I do, but I keep doing the things I do not want to do. Even Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, saying, man, I don't understand why I keep sinning. I don't want to sin. I don't want to be against God. And it's just a gradual process. And I said, we can't completely eliminate the badness as Christ is making us good and new. Couldn't have said it better myself. Lovely people. That was it. Thank Thanks you for listening. Uh, we can't wait for next time. That's good. Sleeping. I got to get to class. Hasta pronto. Hasta pronto. Hasta. No. Hasta la vista. No, mine is. Adios, muchachos. There we go. That's it. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. We hope you were encouraged and inspired to turn to the only one who can and will satisfy you. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them out. Feel free to reach us on any social media platform at Shine and Delight. You can also shoot us an email at shineanddelight at outlook.com. Until next time, be kind, love all, share your shine.